I have an important question for you this morning as I begin the message. What do you remember most about Christmas? Think about that for just a moment. What do you remember most about Christmas? You can phrase it another way. What's your favorite memory? One of my favorite Christmas memories uh, is an annual tradition I had with my family growing up. So every Christmas Eve, uh, we would drive over to my grandparents' house on my mom's side of the family. And the menu always consisted of the same thing. It's every kid's favorite meal. Can you guess what that is? It's also Dan's favorite meal. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> it's pizza. I would have accepted mac and cheese as well, but it, it was pizza. So every Christmas Eve, we would order a thin crust pizza from a local spot called Pizza Inn. And I'm not sure if it's still around or not. I know it's probably just nostalgia, but I remember this being the best pizza I've ever eaten, coming all the way from Oklahoma City. <laughs> what made our family tradition so unique was the side that was served with the pizza. And so my grandpa would get out his popcorn machine, uh, the kind with the handle that turns on the side, you have to crank it, and he'd make more popcorn than we could eat. And to this day, if you were to come over to our house and we're serving pizza, chances are you'd get popcorn as a side. And so that has just stuck with us over the years. You come to think of it, I don't remember a single present that I got from my grandparents growing up. And I know they gave me a lot. I know they spent a lot of money on me, on my siblings, on my cousin, but I don't remember any of the presents that I got on Christmas Eve. What I do remember is sitting around the table and eating pizza and popcorn. You know, these experiences have stuck with me over the years. And now that I have a family of my own, uh, we've come up with a few of our own Christmas traditions. Uh, for over 15 years, my wife and I have made it a priority to attend a Christmas Eve service together. And once we started having kids, um, we wrestled with how we were going to make the most of our time during these special holidays. And so as a family, we attend the Christmas Eve service together. Then we go home where I read the nativity story to the kids. Um, everyone gets a new pair of pajamas. And then we go to bed hoping to at least get a solid six hours of sleep before the kids wake us up on Christmas morning. We have a curfew and a time limit for when they can do that. Christmas morning, we open a few gifts together, and then my wife makes an amazing Christmas breakfast, uh, what dreams are made of, French toast, bacon and eggs, a tall glass of chocolate milk, and uh, I'm already really hungry for that. <laughs> You know, because I can't remember any of the gifts that my grandparents gave me for Christmas, I'm really only the great memories, last year I decided to quiz my own kids uh, to see if they could remember any of the gifts that they had received. They could remember a few, but for the most part, they couldn't remember their gifts. And so I asked them to talk about what, what do they remember most? What do you remember most about Christmas? And what they shared were the stories about all the things we had done as a family. And so maybe you're noticing a pattern here about how experiences tend to make more of an impact than gifts. That's not always the case, but more times than not, those experiences make more of an impact than gifts. Today, we're going to continue our series, uh, Making Christmas Meaningful Again. Why the again? Well, the very first Christmas was extremely meaningful. After you know, generations of God's people waiting patiently for the promised Messiah. God delivered on his promise. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the Messiah over 700 years before Jesus was born. And we read his words 
In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, he wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know these are the names of Jesus. So at the first Christmas, people came from all around to worship a baby boy, Emmanuel, God with us, as their wonderful counselor, their mighty God, their everlasting father, and their prince of peace. The many responses at the first Christmas are actually recorded for us in detail in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But something has changed. Something has changed in the way God's people celebrate the incarnation today. I talked last week about how this season has largely been hijacked in our culture by materialism and consumerism. Instead of pointing others to the king, we tend to make Christmas all about self. So if our worship should be evident in all of our works, then it should extend to every part of our lives. And what will likely be the most challenging message of this series Today, we're going to talk about how our spending tells a story. Our spending tells a story. To lay the foundation, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Um, If you don't have a physical Bible with you, you can use the YouVersion app throughout the message today on your phone, your tablet. I'll have the words on the screen. But if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning as I read God's word aloud. And so Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24. This is what we read. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Lord, I pray that you would Make these words real to us today. This is a difficult passage. I pray that um, your kindness, your, your grace, um, would lead us to a little bit of a spiritual checkup today. And that we would begin asking some important questions about these very things. About who and, and what it is that we're truly devoted to as you grow us to be more like Jesus, that process is not always easy. Jesus is perfect in every way. And we are sinful by nature and by choice. So as you're chipping away at the rough exterior, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to your word, that you would help us to not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. My prayer is that our lives would be lived in such a way that it would bring glory and honor to you this season and every day following. We thank you for this time together. We ask that you would bless it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may be seated. What we just read is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached that people did hear. <laughs> the emphasis from this point on is that God's truths are meant to be applied to every aspect of our lives. Jesus related this principle to our relationship to God in worship, our relationship to other people, and then here, I think what may be the most difficult thing for us, our relationship to material things. And we're accustomed to dividing life into different compartments. The, we like to divide things into the spiritual and the material. We have our friends, we have our work, we have our hobbies, we have our family, we have our church activities. The list goes on and on. But Jesus never made this kind of division in his own life. And we're not supposed to make it in our lives either. In many of his parables, Jesus made it clear that having a right attitude towards wealth and material things is a mark of spiritual maturity. The Pharisees, on one hand, were extremely covetous. They were greedy. Everything to them was about personal gain, about making themselves look good, about improving their quality of life. Followers of Jesus are called to be content and generous. Everything should be about how we can best serve and glorify God with the gifts and the resources that he's given us. So in this particular passage, Jesus taught about how materialism will enslave the heart, it'll enslave the mind and the will. In other words, it's easy for us to become shackled by material things in life without even realizing it. Commenting on this passage, author Warren Wearsby wrote that if the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result can only be tragic loss. So instead of storing up treasures here on earth, we're called to store up treasures in heaven. What, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that buying and owning things is bad. Right? Please hear that. It's not a bad thing. God's made us stewards over things that all ultimately belong to him and we're to be good stewards. What it does mean is that we're to use all that we've been given for the glory of God. Our, our relationship to wealth, how we accumulate it, how we spend it, guess what? It tells a story. It tells a story that other people are going to hear, that future generations will hear. Ultimately, it reveals the true desires of the heart. More than any other time throughout the year, I think the Advent season provides an opportunity for us to give ourselves that much-needed spiritual checkup in this area. Because if our spending does tell a story, and I believe that it does, then what kind of story is it telling? When Jesus said, people are going to try to serve both God and money, but you can't. You must choose one or the other. He was saying there's a better way to live than following the lifestyle that our culture promotes. I think there's an added struggle around the holidays for how we spend money. Would you agree with that? There's an added struggle. But we're reminded that it's possible with God's help to turn the tables on this age-old struggle. Now, Christmas is a season of excess. Difficult to walk against the crowd who seem to want nothing more than uh, to eat, drink, and be merry, and then do it all over again. Spending money 
in a way that tells the kind of story that honors God, it requires a plan. It requires intentionality. It doesn't just happen overnight. And so today I want to share three principles, three tools that I believe will help you navigate this season of spending well. Tool number one, if you're taking notes, ask important questions before spending your money. Ask important questions before spending your money. You see, without asking yourself these important questions, uh, spending with a purpose can become an ambiguous goal. I think there are many surface-level questions that we can start with that will help lead you and your family to more meaningful and deeper conversation. Surface-level questions like, how much is too much? How can I tell when I have too much? Uh, What classifies a need over a greed? You know, the line between excess and simplicity can be difficult to discern, but it's hard to escape the conclusion that nearly all of us have way more than we actually need. So there's no simple formula here. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, but simple questions will help get the conversation started in your home. And your answer to these questions will certainly involve a lot of different variables, but you can start by asking God to help you work through them honestly and with a humble heart. You see, the purpose behind giving ourselves this kind of spiritual checkup is is not legalism, so don't hear that. The purpose is freedom. The purpose is joy and, and peace as we seek to live faithfully to God. If you're willing to begin the conversation with your spouse and with your kids, It's going to open up a whole new line of more specific questions. Things like, uh, do we need another car? And if so, does it have to be a new car? Um, Do we need a new house? If if so, is this going to cause us to live above our means? Um, Ladies, this one's for you. How many pairs of shoes are too many? And do I wear all of the ones that I already own? I said that to my wife last night, and she said, you have more shoes than I do. (laughs) Something as simple as, you know, should I ask for another jacket for Christmas? How many jackets do I really need? Because I remember in Luke chapter 3, verse 11, John the the Baptist said clear as day that if you have two coats, then you should give the second one away. As you ask important questions related to your spending, um, it's also good to develop a thoughtful approach to the histories and the of the products and companies that you purchase things from? You know, are you supporting businesses that treat their employees well or advocate for causes that you believe in? Do you agree with the ways the products are advertised and and promoted? Is the company exploiting people to sell their product? I mean, there's so many good questions that you can ask yourself. We also need to ask what story our spending is telling our children. Um, Kids love putting together Christmas lists at Christmas time, but... Is it even right to give our kids everything they ask for? Do the gifts that we give build character? Or will they further drive our kids into the hand of the culture? You know, truth be told, most kids are completely overwhelmed with gifts at Christmas. Uh, The sheer volume can end up being a major distraction from the celebration of Jesus as they're encouraged to think only about themselves. I read a pretty incredible story this past week about a family from Austin, Texas, and uh, they, they chose to radically change the way they experienced Christmas. And the first step for them was to put together a list, a list of questions, to begin to go through those as a family and weigh those against God's Word. The next thing that they did was they greatly reduced their spending budget around the holidays with purpose. And they were really nervous about this. 
at first. They, they were unsure about how the kids would respond. But the true beauty and the, and the truth about what Christmas is, it changed them from the inside out. And here's how the mother described their new way of spending. This is what she said. When we first talked with the boys about changing our Christmas budget, they, they were a little disappointed. But looking back, I don't remember seeing any of that on Christmas Day. I'm so grateful for this challenge. We knew things didn't feel right, that there was something askew with our Christmases, but we couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. I remember thinking something must be missing. Maybe there was something more. Have you ever gone into the Christmas season and you're going through the motions, you're doing all the things that we were just raised to do and you're left wanting more? You have this sense that, that maybe there's more to this than what we've been doing. My wife and I have been on a Christmas spending journey ourselves for the past several years. And some years it's easier than others. Now she was raised with very little. I was raised with a lot. Finding a healthy balance has been difficult at times. You know, learning about how our spending really does tell a story. Um, we've asked ourselves some difficult questions. We've made cuts to our budget. We've made efforts to recenter our focus on the reason for why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And I know and, and she knows God is not done with us in this area. We have a, a long ways to go. But I can tell you this. There's a lot more joy in our lives around this time of year. There's more relief because we don't have to come up with a few thousand dollars each year for gifts. And there's more meaning as we celebrate as a family. We enjoyed Christmas, we enjoy Christmas more by choosing to spend less. And that, and that, that I know is, is countercultural to what we've heard all of our lives. But this has been an important challenge for us. And one big change that has come from deciding to um, give gifts that our children need instead of just getting them everything that they ask for and that they want. Instead of operating off of a list, my wife and I get to operate off of a pre-decided budget, getting things that we believe will add value to their lives, and that's been a big change. It's been a, a welcome change. And so this season, I want to encourage you to ask some important questions about how you're spending money. How are you stewarding the things that God has entrusted you with? And that's going to lead to the second tool, and that is that spending less does not mean spending nothing. Spending less does not mean spending nothing. So if our spending is going to tell the right kind of story, uh, then we need to thoughtfully evaluate uh, what we support with our spending and allow our spending to support products, people, and causes that are worthy of our support. And so again, I'll say that spending less does not mean spending nothing. It just means that we're intentional about our spending. We were going through just a list of some of the toys we've purchased over the years, some of the things that are in our house right now. Many of the toys that are produced for kids today, they end up robbing them of creativity, of imagination, of ingenuity, and wonder. They're terrible toys, <laughs> And so with our pre-decided budget and goals in mind, my wife and I have started asking ourselves the question, does this gift add value or does it take away from their lives? And as we've spent some time on this question, we've realized that the best gifts are often the ones that show thoughtfulness, usefulness, and that meet a need. They're the kinds of gifts that pull our kids away from the TV screen and out doing something active and productive with their lives. I think you already know this. But Gen Z, 
kids born since the year 2000, and now we have another generation following them. But we'll talk about Gen Z for a moment because there's some data that comes with this. They've been the least physically active generation in our lifetime. This is just one factor that has led to them uh, becoming the most obese generation, as well as the group that has had more mental health struggles than all generations before. And I understand this issue is is impossible to solve in a sermon. It's not going to be solved overnight. But can I suggest something today? That materialism, the overconsumption, the absence of creativity, imagination, ingenuity, and wonder has not helped this generation. We've robbed them of these things. And so why do we feed the problem at Christmas? It's like we rush to the checkout just to bombard our kids with things that they don't ultimately need. And so spending less does not mean spending nothing, but if our spending is going to tell the right kind of story, then we need to thoughtfully evaluate what we're supporting with our spending. And this has been a game changer in our house, and I hope you'll consider giving this some thought this season as well. And that's going to lead us to the third and final tool today, that material gifts cannot replace relational experiences. Material gifts cannot replace relational experiences. And so this comes full circle to what I was talking about at the beginning of the message. And I don't know why, but when I was writing this, this sermon this week, the image of an absent father bringing gifts to his children at Christmas in an effort to make up for lost time, that, that's what came to mind. We see this scene played out in movies all the time, but I think it's a lot more common. It's much more of a reality um, today than we realize. You know, my, my dad was always there for me. He was always present. But I know that's not the story of every person here this morning. You know, growing up with an absent father is part of my wife's story. I know it's still hurtful for her to think about today. If we're honest, we all have this tendency built into us to some degree. We all fall short throughout the year relationally, and then we think that material gifts, as cool as they may be, can somehow make up for lost time or shared experiences. What we tend to remember most are relationships. The experiences will always mean more than the material gifts because we were created for relationship. You take it from someone who loves to buy gifts and loves to give gifts. I love to do that. And I think it's appropriate at times, for sure. But take it from me that my sons, they will always value meaningful time spent with their dad over a new video game, even if they really want the video game. What they need is their dad. What they need is their mom. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 is our memory verse uh, today. So be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So for just a moment, I want to talk to the fathers in the room, specifically fathers whose children are still in the home. Fathers, make the most of every opportunity this season by spending time with your kids. Instead of putting in extra hours at the office, and work is important, we're to work hard, we know this. Instead of putting in extra hours at the office, building someone else's empire, put in extra hours at home building your own family. 
make worship and service a priority and do these things together. Don't miss out on the opportunity to give the very best gift that you can give, and that's the gift of yourself. Yourself. 